King, be seated. If you would, open on your Bible to Isaiah chapter 52. reading there in verse 13. I believe that's where this chapter, chapter 53, actually begins. Behold, Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. I didn't plan on it this way, but last week I tried to look at the servant. And it's these verses here in the last part of chapter 2 and then all of chapter 53 is dealing with his servant. God's righteous servant. Behold my servant, he shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled, and he shall be very high. As many were astonished or astonished at, his, at thee, his vision was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, the king's, shall shut their mouths at him. For that which has not been told them, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, shall they consider. He's saying they'll ne when this happens, it's something they've never seen before or would have ever considered. Verse 1 of chapter 53, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For God's righteous servant, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we, yet we, did, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every man to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him 
God's righteous servant, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He was perfect and upright, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's what it said there in verse 13 of chapter 52, where he would do prudently. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, because he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. What a chapter. Describing what our Lord has done to save his people. I read all that because I want to deal with one little section there in verse 5. The last part, and with his stripes, we are healed. Like any other part of God's word, men have taken part of his word and tried to just twist it around, and they build all their their theology on the healing of the body. You know, you could live almost, if you want to say in perfect health, my, my stepmother, she's in her 80s and don't hardly take any medicine, really. For that age, she's in pretty good health, but she's still a sinner. One day, one day, her body will give out. And to think that we're all supposed to live healthy and, and never have any sicknesses or, or problems, we know that's not a fact. God's children do suffer. But he came and found us and brought us because he gave his life for us. Here in these verses, we see God's righteous servant, Servant. He took upon himself the form of a servant. Why? And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He became God's righteous servant, the surfer, in the place of his people. When he cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. That body he lived upon this earth in. That body he grew weary with. That body he grew thirsty. He grew tired. And with that body 
he suffered. Not only physical pain, he made his soul an offering for sin. He, he suffered guilt and anguish and pain when he took upon himself our sin. But today I want us to consider why God's righteous servant had to suffer so much to save his people. We needed someone to suffer and die in our place. Either you're going to suffer, either you will suffer the wrath, or either God must charge you with all your sin, or someone must die in your place. And when we see in this, we see, we see exactly what our sin deserved. What our sin deserved. First of all, I'd like to say sin is like a disease. Scripture says this. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. To me, I think this is the only place we have a record of Peter being married and him having a house. And his mother-in-law was in that house and she was sick. Matthew 8, verse 14. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. Now this is what I understand, not just some little you know, just a few degrees higher than the temperature. No, she was, she was very ill with this awful fever. And if something didn't happen, more than likely she would have perished. And our Lord, he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and ministered unto them. And when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the devils with his word, and healed all that were sick. They heard what he had done. News got around, so they brought those that were possessed and those that were sick to Peter's house that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, as I just read to you, saying, himself took our infirmities, and he bare our what? Sicknesses. Sin is an incurable, if you use some other word, but it is an incurable disease. Like this woman, she's covered with this fever, but he touched her and she was healed. He came to bear our sicknesses. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and our sins made our sickness our grief. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Do you know the book of Isaiah is quoted more in the New Testament than any other book of the Old Testament except for the book of Psalms, the book of Isaiah is. And I, if you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what the Ethiopian eunuch was reading that day that God sent Philip to him, I think he was reading Isaiah 53. He was actually reading this chapter. Isn't that amazing? He went to Jerusalem looking for some peace and some help, but he didn't find it in that religion, but God sent him a preacher. 
And he said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I accept some man guide me? He said, slide over. And that man from that scripture preached Christ to that man. That's what we're trying to do today, to show you from this scripture that it speaks of Christ. By his stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 2, verse 22. Who did no sin, never did. As me and Jeff was talking, you know, we were to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. Our Lord never committed a sin, never had a wrong thought, never had a wrong motive. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, didn't revile back. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him, to the Father, that judgeth righteously. That's in the Father's hands. Who his own self bare our sins and his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. I think it's amazing. These men studied this right here. And when Peter was writing to those people to encourage them, he pulls from this right here, Isaiah 53, 5, and he says he was without sin, he was without guile, he didn't revile when he was reviled, and by whose stripes you are healed. For you were a sheep going astray, but now are you returned to the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Sin, like a disease, makes us sick. If it was not for sin, none would ever get sick physically, and we would never die. Our bodies are decaying, and they're giving out because of sin. Back in Isaiah chapter 1, if you want to turn there, verse 5 and 6, sin affects everything about us. Many examples in the scriptures, though all those you know, illustrations our Lord gives, like the woman with the issue of blood. She was sick. Had the, had the sickness 12 years. Spent everything she could, none better. She got worse. So she came to the Lord. And I don't know where she got the idea, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be, I'll be what? I'll be whole. And she pressed through the crowd, and I can just see her feeble hand as she touches that garment. And she touched him by faith, and she was made whole. What religion couldn't do. She couldn't buy the cure. She only grew worse. That's the way religion is. You go to all these doctors, and they say, well, you try this prescription. Try this prescription. You'll get better. No, you won't. You'll get worse. Why should you be, Isaiah 1 verse 5, why, do, why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But look here, there's wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been clothed, neither bound up, neither modified with ointment. How can that person be de- that is described in that verse be healed? Of its wounds and 
bruises and just putrefying, runny sores. That, that describes us. Our whole head is sick. Sick. Sin, like a disease, it makes us weak. Peter's mother-in-law had a running fever. The Bible says, when we were yet without strength, Christ died for us. Sin, like disease, causes extreme pain. Pain. <clears throat> you know why you have pain? You know something's wrong. I've heard of people, they just go to the doctor for a checkup, and the first thing they know, they find cancer. Didn't even know it was there. But when something's hurting, you say, well, I need to go to the doctor. I need to have this checked out. Some, something's causing it. Something's causing it. Our sin, it causes extreme pain to our conscience. We can't get away from it. It bothers us. But sometimes we can reach a point where it deadens our conscience. It'll bother them. You mean people can do that? Oh, yeah, the Bible talks about men's conscience being seared with a hot iron. It talks about him turning people over to reprobate minds. They do those things which are not convenient. If you have a conscience and God convicts you of sin, you better thank God a million times for it. If he leaves us alone, we're in a mess. Here's what happens when men begin to feel some conviction, and it is painful. Guilt. You imagine the guilt. I can't undo it, the guilt. You're guilty. Let the whole world become guilty. Let all every mouth be shut and become guilty before God. Guilty. People in hell are feeling guilty, remorse, and they can't undo it. Guilt. How painful. How painful. Some physician of no value comes along, and you know what they say? Peace, peace. Well, there is no peace. They're trying to give cure to that guilty conscience. And seeing like disease pollutes everything we touch. It's like the leprosy. They had to live outside the camp. And I couldn't help but think about COVID. It was contagious. You couldn't see it. Now you may get it and you may get it and you may get it and you may keep getting it. Bible says evil communications corrupt good manners. We have a way, good or bad, of rubbing off on people. Of rubbing off on people. Sin, like a disease, keeps us from enjoying life. It deprives us of sight, hearing, feeling, and taste. As I thought about that point, I saw a woman on the news the other day. You know, a lot of people, when they got COVID, one of the symptoms, and I know it was like my oldest daughter, Heather, the way she knew when she got COVID the first time, she went to the refrigerator and took out, poured out some orange juice, and she said, I couldn't taste it. And come to find out, she had COVID. There was a woman, she had not been able to taste for two years. And they did some type of surgery on her throat or something where she could taste. You know, 
It ain't much fun eating if you can't taste it. And you know, I know what sin does. It, it makes everything just taste bad. You know, I remember my dad, I was just a young boy. There was a, a, a flu came along. You, some of you may have heard it. It was called the Hong Kong flu. My dad never got sick. He was sick for a couple of weeks. And, you know, he couldn't taste things for years. It affects. Sin affects the way we taste things. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It affects us. We have no joy. And seeing like a disease is, is fatal. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Well, how are we to be delivered from this disease of sin? That's an incurable disease. And I can tell you this, apart from God's grace, there is no cure. What we've read in these verses is God's giving us and showing us this is how, by his stripes, we are healed. And without his stripes, there is no healing. There is no balm in Gilead. <laughs> Apart from grace, men wax worse and worse. I looked this up. It just come to my mind. Most of you have heard of the 1918 flu they called it, some called it the Spanish flu or other things. They said the virus infected roughly 500 million people, a third of the world's population at that time. And over 50 million people died from something you couldn't even see. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that any of us are alive. Really, just even physically. Well, how frail we are, and why? Because of sin. But I want us to look at, for the next little bit, on the promised remedy. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. I know God or Christ give it, made his soul an offering for sin. He made his soul, but... And someone said, I want to speak just for a few minutes on the physical suffering. Someone said it was an old writer. They said... People used to major too much on the physical sufferings of our Lord. And he said, I'm afraid if we're not careful, we're going to make too little about the physical suffering. He suffered. He suffered loneliness. He suffered rejection. When our Lord went to Gethsemane, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 22, When he crossed that Kidron Valley or that creek, when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke twenty two forty one, and when he had withdrawn himself for about a stone's cast, he kneeled down and prayed, 
saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There's no way we can explain what that means. But in that cup was sin, was all the sin of God's people and all, everything that come along without sin, everything he must endure. And there appeared to him, unto him from heaven, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Why, why did he need an angel? Why did he need strengthening? He's a man. Now, he's God. Perfect God, but he's a man. And now, let me read on. And, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Sandy told me one time somebody, you know, when she was raised in a Methodist church, you know, they did things different. They wanted her to stand up and read. She said she's about 11 years old, and she read that scripture about Christ. His blood was his great drop. I mean, his sweat was his great drops of blood, and someone told her, said, that wasn't real blood. We can't even begin to fathom the agony he was in. He said, one place it said his soul was troubled unto death. He knows what he's getting ready to do. He knows it. He knows what he's going to face. And he's praying in agony, not my will, but thine be done. And he, he prays, and you can imagine him come back with, with blood on his face. And here's his three disciples laying there asleep. He said, could you not watch with me one hour? And then he goes back and prays. Comes back in their sleep again. He said, sleep on. And he goes back and prays one more time. And as soon as he comes back the third time, here comes Judas, his own familiar friend, and they come to get our Lord. And he knows why they come, and they can't take him unless he lets them. And when they take him, all the other disciples leave him. Would that have bothered you? It would have bothered me. It would have bothered me if I'd have said, Jeff, you and uh, Cheryl and uh, Paul, I want you to pray, for, pray with me. I'm going in there to pray. And come out and you boys laying there asleep. That's how I did it. I mean, but then he come back and he said, sleep on now. Take your rest. Take your rest. I've got this. But he suffered. You see, all those things called suffering. And his suffering is only beginning. He was betrayed of his own familiar friends. His disciples forsook him. Then they took him to the high priest. In Matthew 26, 67, they, they blindfolded him and smote him on his face. And they spit in his face. Matthew 26, 67, and buffeted him means to hit him with their fist, and then they smote him with the palms of their hand. I don't think anybody would ever sign up for somebody to just spit in your face. That's about as low as it gets. And that's what they did. And you know what? He stood there and took it. Can you imagine how they jeered and how they mocked? 
So then after he leaves the high priest, they send him to Pilate the first time. Then when Pilate finds out, because the Jews cannot sentence anybody to death because they're under Roman authority. When he finds out he's from Galilee, he sends him to Herod. And and turn to Luke chapter 23, verse 11. All this is going on at night, I mean, early in the morning. And Herod, with his men of war, Luke 23, 11, said him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together for before they were at enmity between themselves. Just mocking him. You, you, you say you're a king. You ain't no king. And we don't know what other terms they use. But you imagine, no one wants to be mocked. No one, nobody likes to be made fun of. But what I want you to see, these, these, are the, these are just the beginnings of sorrows. Then, you know what they do? They send him back to Pilate. You know, and Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. Pilate's wife came and told him, don't have anything to do with this just man. But if you would turn to John chapter 19, I want to show you this. John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited the crown of thorns and put it on his head and put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. And Pilate therefore went forth and said to them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know I find no fault in him. Well, why did you scourge him then? You just beating an innocent man? Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto him, Behold, behold the man. Let me just read to you something. What was this scourging? And Pilate took Jesus and he said, you just go take him, scourge him. It is, it is said to have been made this scourge of the sinew of oxen, twisted into knots, and into these knots were inserted silver, I mean slivers of bone, so that every time the scourge hit the raw back, the plows made deep furrows. You know, some of you have never seen somebody plow ground with a, you stick the plow in the ground and it makes a build deep furrow. Do you know there's a scripture that makes reference to that of our Lord? Psalms 129.3. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters. They said what they'd do, they'd take a man and they'd pull his arms around and they'd just tie him to a pole. And they would stand there. That scourge had nine pieces on it. 
So every time he took that whip and hit somebody in the back, when he pulled it back, it would jerk out flesh. Nine times. I figured that it was, they said 40 lashes was enough to kill a man. So they would do 39. If you do 39 times nine, that means that there was 351 tears on the back of his body. And they didn't care where they hit him. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheek to them that plucked off the hair. It'd be like them coming up, grabbing my beard, and they said, we're just going to jerk it out. And I hid not my face. He didn't say, don't do that. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. So that's how they scourged him. That's why it says in Isaiah, Isaiah 52, his vigid, his appearance was more more than any man. They had no compassion. They didn't care. All they wanted to do was to inflict pain, and they did. It's a miracle that he made it to the cross because you imagine carrying the weight of that cross on your back and they were afraid he was going to die, and they grabbed a man and said, here, you carry his cross. And bleeding from his head to his back, they made him carry his own cross. And then when they got to Calvary, they stripped him of all of his clothes, threw him down, and nailed him to the cross. They pierced his hands and his feet. They lifted up the, tr- the tree with him hanging upon it, and when they, you can imagine the force when it dropped into its hole. He said, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. They said, when it dashed it down into the ground, that all of his limbs were dislocated. Our Lord hunging the burning sun till the fever dissolved his strength, and he said, My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaw, and thou hast brought me to the dust of death. And there he hangs as a spectacle to God and to men. Goes on to say the weight of his body was first sustained by his feet to the nails tore through the tender nerves and then the painful load began to drag upon his hands and rend those sensitive part of his frame. How awful must have been the torment caused by that dragging iron tiring through the delicate parts of his hands and feet. Now were all manner of bodily pains centered in his tortured frame. All the while his enemies stood around, they'd stuck their tongue out, they mocked him, they jeered at him, and they were gloating over his sufferings. And he cried, I thirst. And they gave him vinegar with gall. And after a while, He said, it is finished. 
It's done. It's done. He had endured the utmost of appointed grief and had made full vindication to divine justice. Why would God allow him to suffer so much? That's what sin deserved. Sure, that's what you, me, Paul, that's what we deserved. And you think when his soul was made an offering for sin, not just, not just all these all these physical pains, the thought of the Father forsaking you. I looked for somebody to help, and there was nobody. Nobody could help. And God cut the lights off for three hours. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know why he said that? So God would never forsake you. Soul sufferings. To even to try to describe the sufferings of our Lord is not easy. But his soul sufferings, sufferings which were the soul, someone said, but his soul sufferings which were the soul of his sufferings. Who can even conceive, much less even try to explain the guilt the loneliness, the mockery, the shame. Psalms chapter 6, verse 2, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. And listen to this in Psalms 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and who healeth all thy diseases. Why did he suffer? Why was, why was he wounded for our transgressions? So that we could be healed. Listen to these words from this, this, uh, this chapter. Despised and rejected, a man of sorrow, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, wounded, bruised, chastised, stripped. The Lord laid on him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He was a lamb to the slaughter. He was a sheep before his shears. He opened not his mouth. He never said a word. He didn't say, this is not fair or I don't deserve this. Never said it. Never said it. Transgressions, he was stricken. He made his grave with the wicked, the rich in his death. And it pleased the Lord. Now, don't you get this? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Peter told those people in the book of Acts, he said, you took him, you took him, and by wicked hands, you crucified him and slain him, but you just did exactly what God meant for you to do. I think it's in Zechariah what talks about, awake thou that sleep, awake, O sword, awake, O sword. It's like the sleep of justice, the justice of God had been asleep, and he said, awake, O sword, and smite the shepherd, and that's what God did. God took the sword of his justice. 
and put it right into the heart of his son. Why would God do that to save his people? That you may be healed. Put him to grief, soul offering for sin, travail of soul, bearing their iniquities, poured out his soul unto death, and he bare the sins of many. Listen to part of this song. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming blood, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Oh, that the Lord would show us our disease and then he would show us the remedy.